Chapter Twenty Four of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two, by Henry W. Lucy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four: Through the Suez Canal. The voyage from Aden to Suez in such weather as fell to our lot is one of dreamy delight. Leaving Aden behind we sailed along a coast guarded by files of sentinel hills rising one above another with boundless wealth of blue sea at their feet there is no sign of tree or verdure but the rocks birth of volcano take on in the varying distance hues of infinite beauty close by aden there is a miniature bay of pure white sand shut out from the world in the rear by an impenetrable wall of rock this is called honeymoon bay because it is said young couples getting married have been known to sail away and build them a tent here further out there are a constant succession of bays sufficient to meet the honeymoon necessities of the close of a london season we had magnificent weather and seas without a ripple till almost within sight of suez but the clouds had as of old hidden mount sinai as we passed on the afternoon before we reached suez the wind suddenly veered round and a summer's afternoon was instantly changed into bleakest october weather the sun still shining but the wind piercingly cold the southern cross constant harbinger of the coming day was left behind not to be seen again on this journey the last time i saw it midway up the red sea it was shining brightly in the southern heavens whilst to the eastward both sea and sky were suffused with the rosy tints of the coming sun in the west the moon and its attendant court of stars and planets shone out as brightly as if the sky were their unquestioned empire and there was no such thing as day on the fifth morning after leaving aden we awoke to find ourselves anchored at suez two miles away on the left lay the town its white-walled houses shining fair in the morning light though i believe it is the cleanliness and beauty of a whited sepulchre we got a nearer view of suez as we entered the canal and saw the long procession of mules travelling to and fro along the narrow causeway raised above the swampy level and connecting the town with the port the french genius of the place breaks out in a little cafe fronting the entrance to the canal where doubtless petits verres are to be had after which refreshment the pleased resident may stroll along a forlorn boulevard bordered here and there with stunted funereal cypress at suez in accordance with the regulations of the company we took on board a pilot a stout middle-aged italian who knew as much of english as our captain did of the language of dante that is to say nothing the necessity of engaging a pilot to take a steamer through the canal is analogous to that which exists for compelling the commander of a flat to ship a pilot on entering the metropolitan boundary of the regent's canal what is wanted is a steady hand on the tiller and an eye that can follow a straight line it might even be supposed that a pilot in addition to the heavy impost exacted for his service is undesirable 
since a quartermaster accustomed to steer the ship would do it better if left alone however it be our pilot within an hour of taking command ran us ashore in broad daylight in a straight cut of the canal with not a breath of wind stirring and with no one on board having a command of the italian language sufficiently fluent to let him know what we thought of him the nepal after unaccountably wobbling to the port and starboard finally selected the left bank and with gentle gliding motion ran on to it her bows rising three feet in the air the engines were already reversed and the screw plunged and hissed through the water in the effort to withdraw the bows but the bank held like a vice and the only result was that the stern swung over grounded on the opposite bank and the screw was useless this was a pretty interruption of a prosperous voyage lying like a log athwart the canal with the pilot aimlessly trotting up and down the bridge and no one on board able to speak italian all along the canal bank on both sides posts have been driven for use in contingencies of this kind captain wyatt leaving the pilot to his own reflections promptly had steel hawsers attached to these posts a steam winch was got to work and an effort was made to slew the stern round so that the screw could be freed after a few moments straining the hawser parted the riven end wriggling along the deck like a snake that had been cut in two fortunately no one was near and no one hurt another steel hawser was got out at the stern a second one at the bows and a united effort made to pull the ship straight to this end all the ship's company including the stewards and barber were mustered aft and the game of rolling essayed this is a simple game much enjoyed by the crew everybody gathers at one side of the quarter-deck and at a signal given by the steam-whistle they run over to the other side the object being to loosen the vessel in its sandy bed and so ease the work of the cables still straining fore and aft at suez we had had put on board in addition to the pilot a representative of the egyptian government charged with the mission of seeing that the quarantine regulations under which we sailed were not broken to that end as soon as we had got under way he stretched himself out on one of the benches and went to sleep he was awakened by the shock of the grounding and evidently regarded the incident as a personal matter depriving him of his sleep i wanted him to join in the rolling exercise but he resolutely declined whilst making my advances the basis of an acquaintance subsequent developments of which consisted of his asking me for cigars he was a poor dirty disreputable-looking fellow whose pitiful wages were probably in arrear he slept most of the way through the canal and faded out of sight at port side as it were in an earthquake a boat came alongside with the p and o agent in charge of a quarantine officer but whether to prevent the agent catching cholera from us or whether to deliver us from the danger of contagion by touch of a resident in port side is a nice question left unsolved our quarantine man leaning over the bulwark engaged in conversation so loudly with his colleague in the boat 
that after various remonstrances the captain looking up from the companion-ladder said take that fellow away instantly the quartermaster a giant with face simple and kindly as a child's had the representative of the egyptian government by the throat whisked him across the quarter-deck and with a parting kick sent him whizzing round the captain's cabin and for aught i know into space i never saw him any more as for the quartermaster he resumed his position at the head of the companionway looking gentler and more childlike than ever i fancy he had been yearning all through the passage to kick this lazy frowsy egyptian and was glad when the time came for half an hour the ship's company ran to and fro to their huge enjoyment then the second wire cable broke fortunately in an interval of breathing time it was evident we were in bad case nothing more could be done and a telegram was dispatched for a tug at dusk it arrived and a manila cable of prodigious size was fastened stern on but it was now low water and night was falling a jackal came to the edge of the bank looked at us and trotted off as if it were no business of his a flock of black ibis rose up from the desert spread out in single file curled like the lash of titanic whip they circled slowly round the ship and passed away out of sight the sun went down in a cloudless lurid sky and we were left alone shut up between two sandbanks the tide would be near flow at one in the morning and the crew turned in early to be piped up half an hour after midnight when the silence of the desert was broken by the tramp of men as they ran from side to side the tug puffed and hauled astern the steam winch strained at the cables fore and aft half a hundred men ran from side to side but still the great ship lay steadfast in her bed of mud and to move her seemed as hopeless as the endeavours to slew arabia round to join egypt once more the task was given up the only hope now was to lighten the ship and telegrams were dispatched for men and lighters the prospect was not a pleasant one ships aground as we were had been known to stick for five days till half the cargo was out we were going to breakfast with gloomy hearts when it was suddenly discovered that without apparent effort when operations were suspended except for the puffing tug the stern had slewed round into deep water the welcome vibration of the screw was felt again the tug puffed more frantically than ever the cable over the bows strained between winch and post in ten minutes the steamer slowly moved astern and we were again afloat after twenty-one hours detention it was proposed amid acclamation to put the pilot on board the tug or ship him in one of the lighters for suez but that would have been against the law of the land so he was quietly ignored and the vessel safely steered to ismailia here we made the pleasant discovery that practically no time had been lost by our misadventure if we had not been aground at the entrance to the canal we should have been at anchor in lake timsa 
another steamer had not only grounded but sunk a hundred yards up the canal after passing ismailia and lake timsa was crowded with steamers awaiting the removal of the block we fortuitously arrived at the end of two days detention and early the next morning were able to proceed leading a fleet of splendid steamers and passing at successive gares groups bound east moored till the line was clear our journey lay all day through a narrow ditch with the spoil bank rising at either side for the most part shutting off all view of the desert at places the canal is so narrow that as we crept along the melancholy sand-laden mimosa that fringes the banks almost brushed the side of the ship nearing port said the view widened the waters of the mediterranean began to creep over the low lands away to the left we saw what seemed far-reaching white rocks surrounded by a quiet pool of water as we drew nearer we discovered that this was an innumerable flock of flamingos standing knee-deep in the water at the firing of a gun the flock rose like a great white cloud changing to pink as mounting higher the plumage under their wings came into view we found port said crowded for the same reason that gathered a fleet at anchor at ismailia the block in the canal had thrown out of gear the traffic of two worlds and at least twenty-four hours must elapse before the tangled skein could be unravelled the yellow flag at our masthead indicated our condition of quarantine an absurd and vexatious regulation which it is not easy to see who benefits from we had a clean bill of health and were thirteen days out from bombay where there was rather less cholera than on the average throughout the year but if we had left a town tainted to the water's edge we were safe company as the seeds of cholera do not wait thirteen days for their generation nevertheless the condition of isolation was maintained with ludicrous strictness letters and newspapers for the passengers were gravely handed over with a pair of tongs letters and documents from the ship were taken up with the tongs put in a tin box and carried off at arm's length to be fumigated before being handled the passengers were condemned to remain on board for twenty-four hours during coaling and port said lost the certain sum of money they would have spent had they been allowed to go on shore to complete the comedy malta put egypt in quarantine and rather than run the risk of further annoyance and delay it was decided to steam straight home for plymouth thus losing for malta the considerable profits of a call from a p and o steamer early on the morning after our arrival at port said a crowd began to gather on the quay right opposite the steamer's moorings the majority of the men wore the fez some turbans and a few arabs had their heads tied round with shawls the favourite colour of dress was a shade of light blue too cool for the state of the weather but pretty to look at a crowd of boats gathered in front of the quay and men and boys in them began to undress in spite of the keen wind that blew and made muffled up folks shiver presently from round a corner to the left there emerged a procession in the van came two men in short white skirts red stockings and black skull-caps trimmed with gold lace 
behind them walked a priest in long white gown trimmed with frills and lace over this hung a crimson silk cape rich with gold lace and embroidery a gold embroidered cross pendant from his waist four boys in white gowns carried crosses and censers and behind came a long string of rabble running and pushing threatening to run down the priest as if he were the speaker and they honourable members proceeding on the opening day of the session to hear the queen's speech read in the house of lords as the procession approached the men in the boats cast off all their clothing save a pair of drawers and eagerly stood up the priest halting at the edge of the quay took a book from a white stoled boy read a verse or two raised his hands as if invoking a blessing and then flung out seaward a golden cross an eager spring was made at it by the half-clad men in the boats who simultaneously leaped into the sea i fancy one caught it before it touched the water nevertheless all dived splashed around for a minute or two and then one sprang out and made off down the street at the top of his speed the water dripping off him and the rabble following pell-mell meanwhile the priest the gentlemen in red stockings and the boys with the crosses had executed a strategic retreat and were retiring in good order by another street on the right we learned in explanation of this remarkable scene that the day was epiphany and that this was the annual ceremony of blessing the suez canal on behalf of the greek church the apparently lunatic behaviour of the damp man madly running off with the rabble after him was that he had secured the cross and was making for the church where on delivering up the treasure he would receive a handsome money reward we sailed just before sunset finding the sunny skies and sapphire seas of the east changed for troubled waters and lowering clouds after two days of dirty weather the sea smoothed itself out the sun shone forth and life was once more worth living we skirted the african coast so closely that we could see algiers shining white in the sunlight crossing over in the night we awoke to find ourselves under the lee of the rugged coast of spain with here and there a lighthouse a little town lying embayed among the hills and often only a lonely martello tower perched on a rock to speak of human habitation gibraltar we passed at night in a rain squall that obscured its lights and broke out in the atlantic to find the seas kinder and the skies bluer than they had been at the remoter end of the mediterranean at a time when the question of doubling the suez canal or making a parallel one is occupying public attention it may be useful to state the view of the men who are most intimately acquainted with the practical bearings of the case i had opportunity of widely gathering the opinions of captains and officers of large ships habitually using the canal and i find them without exception in favour of widening the existing ditch the reasons for this are simple and forcible the chief cause of the vexatious and costly delay now habitually taking place in the canal arises from the grounding of big steamers in places the canal is so narrow that one could jump ashore from either side of a peninsular and oriental steamer 
the slightest turn of the tiller and the steamer is aground with the canal doubled in width this danger is reduced to a minimum it is all the difference between walking on a tightrope and crossing by a plank if a second canal is made presumably of the same width as the present one this danger will still remain though reduced by one half the maximum rate of steaming permitted by the canal regulations is five miles and one-third a limitation rendered necessary by the danger arising from the force of the wash in so narrow a gut it is admitted on all hands that if the canal were doubled in width a speed of eight knots might be safely accomplished moreover vessels might steam by night whereas they are now obliged to lie up from sunset to sunrise this would shorten the passage by a day a great consideration for ship-owners consignees and passengers besides extending the usefulness of the canal by limiting the period of its occupancy by individual ships added expedition would be gained in a widened canal by the avoidance of the necessity of the block system now existing whereby vessels have to pull up at stations and wait indefinite periods till the line is clear with a canal of double width whilst small steamers could pass each other it would only be necessary for the larger craft to lie up at points where others pass them an operation that would not incur more than a quarter of an hour's delay finally the project of doubling the canal recommends itself on the score of lesser expense the original cost would be much smaller whilst the permanent charges of administration would also be reduced the only argument conceivable in favour of the second canal is the supposition that it would be made with english money worked under english direction and in the matter of rates be competitive with the elder scheme that however is a possibility obviously incompatible with the collaboration of monsieur de lesseps which is the basis of the understanding arrived at in eighteen eighty three between him and the english shipowners what those who do business in the narrow water of the suez canal would like above all things to see is a canal double the width of the present one and five feet deeper under british or for the matter of that international commercial direction failing that the widening of the existing canal is the only scheme that would give practical relief to the shipping trade End of chapter twenty four travel east travel west a man's own house is still the best end of east by west a journey in the recess volume two by henry w lucy recording by ruth golding february 2012